Good morning to you all. Hope you're doing well. If you would, turn again to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. We want to continue and actually complete our discussion of kindness this morning. Hopefully not completely to complete our discussion, but as far as this uh, sermon series goes, talking about kindness. Um, this is the section that we'll read from 1 Corinthians 13. Ultimately, when it comes down to asking the question, what does God want us to do? Uh, the Bible summarizes that by saying, trust and love. Uh, we're to trust God, we're to love people, and it's very easy to say that it takes the grace and power of God to do those things. And so it's always good to be reminded of what the bottom line is. I'm a, I'm a bottom line kind of person. You know, I just need people to bottom line things for me. And so when I'm in a t- t- tough situation, I usually don't have time to think through a long list of arguments. I just need to know what I'm supposed to do and what God is calling me to and what am I, I want him to ask him for. And we're to ask him for grace to trust him. We're to ask him for grace to love the people in our lives. And that begs the question, love in what way? And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 does for us. It helps us to understand the kind of love that we are to show to others by the power and grace of God. And so let me read just verses 4 through 8a for us. It says, Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I've spent a lot of time talking about patience and kindness because I believe what Paul is saying here is if we want to know what it looks like to love the way God loves, it means exhibiting patience and kindness. And the rest of what he says here talks about threats to being patient and being kind. And then it also highlights the fact that that's in the context of always doing what's right. God never calls us to do what, what's wrong to be patient and kind. And then finally, he highlights the fact that it's in every situation, in every circumstance, in every relationship. That's why he ends by saying, uh, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's in all of life, in all of uh, all circumstances, in every relationship. This is what God calls us to, and we, we're living in a time in our in our country where uh, you've got cancel culture, you've got all kinds of conflict going on, and the temptation is to not be patient and not be kind. And that has always been the temptation, right? But in our society, uh, more and more, uh, we find people being hostile toward each other, attacking one another, canceling one another, criticizing and condemning one another, uh, because the whole idea is to divide, put people in different um, camps, so to speak, and pit those camps against each other. And so we need to understand that... um, The goal of the instruction of the Bible is love. Um, At the end of this chapter, Paul says, Faith, hope, and love will abide, and the greatest of these is love. And so as Christians, we're to love. And so we've been spending a lot of time just trying to think through biblically what Paul is talking about in those 
Those simple phrases, love is patient, love is kind. I've kind of summarized it in your notes in this way in terms of kindness, trying to touch on the various aspects of what we've been talking about and what we'll actually finish up talking about today. Kindness is, in light of what God says in his word, graciously desiring and doing good to others, to their souls and to their bodies, in words and deeds, in public and in private, regardless of their sinful attitudes and actions, without hope or expectation of temporal reward, because of God's kindness to us, especially in Jesus. Not only to satisfy temporal needs, but with a desire to satisfy spiritual needs. And all to the glory of the kind God. And so that's just one way of trying to summarize the various aspects of what Paul is talking about here when he talks about kindness. Which leads me to my first point here that I just want to reiterate. Oops, let's see. There we go. That when you think about all that I just read and all that the scripture says about kindness, it's very easy to see that kindness is not natural. And it's important to see that because um, just telling someone to be kind isn't going to make them kind. Uh, you may have heard about the controversy with uh, Ellen DeGeneres, who is a woman who has a talk show. And the thing that she says at the end of every show is, be kind. And over the past year, she's been criticized for not being kind to her crew during the coronavirus situation. And others have stepped forward and said that their experience with Ellen and being on her show uh, was the opposite of kindness. Well, I would imagine that Ellen DeGeneres, when she says be kind, isn't talking about the First Corinthians 13 kind of kind. She's talking about be nice, try to avoid conflict and those kinds of things. But even in that respect, we see that we cannot uh, always be nice, always avoid conflict, always be kind and on any level. And we just see that in so many different ways. If you would, turn to Romans chapter 3, and I just want to highlight some verses here as we wrap this up to just remind us of some things that we know and just make some connections that we need to make so that we really see what is being talked about here and so that we can pursue it in our lives as God would have us to. Because the reality is you can't be kind like God is kind until you know that you can't be kind like God is kind. You can't be kind like God is kind until you know that you can't be kind like God is kind. And Romans 3.12 teaches that when it says this, All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. The word good there is the noun form of the verb in 1 Corinthians 13.4 where it says love is kind. So that could be translated, there is none who is doing kindness. There is not even one. We might ask the question, how can Paul say that? I I know people that aren't believers, but they seem to be very kind. You know, they help me in different ways. They are thoughtful in different ways. They are considerate and, and giving and generous in different ways. Well, Jonathan Edwards kind of, uh, addresses that in his 
exposition of this verse, and he basically sums it up in, in this way. He says, natural kindness is not what God is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 because the kind of kindness that God is talking about is done freely. The question is, what does he mean by freely? And what he means by freely is, he says, to be kind is to have a disposition freely to do good. Whatever good is done, there is no proper kindness in the doer of it unless it be done freely. He says, first of all, that means that our doing good is not in a mercenary spirit. Now, what is a mercenary spirit? That means I'm doing it for some kind of reward that I can get through that situation or from that person. I'm doing it so that I'll get their thanks or their appreciation or so they'll do it to me in return. Like Jesus said, we have people over to eat so that they'll have us over to eat. And he says, don't do that. Um, And so he's talking about that one aspect of the kind of kindness uh, the Lord is talking about here is that we're not doing it to get anything from anyone in this life uh, on this planet. We're not looking uh, to gain temporal good. Secondly, freely means, he says, that it's done with cheer, gladly. We're not just, you know... Uh, grinning and bearing it and doing what we know is the right thing to do. Uh, we, you know, this is the way we have to uh, act because this is what family does. Family shows up and family serves, and even if they don't like it, you know. And that's not the kindness that's being talked about here. It's not just doing the right thing because you have to for some reason, but without any heart behind it, without any cheer, without any gladness, without any delight in it, without any desire for the other person's good, just doing it because either you want to get something out of it one way or the other, or because, you know, you feel like you have to. And then he says, the third aspect of doing it freely is, uh, we don't just do the minimum. We're ready to do all that we need to do. We're willing to go the extra mile, like Jesus said. We're willing to give generously and lavishly. And so the point is, if you really think about that, and you apply it not just to people you like, but people who are unkind and ungrateful, then you immediately realize, yeah, that's not me. I'm not not ready to be lavishly, unselfishly, kind and giving and sacrificial to someone who's so unkind and ungrateful toward me. It doesn't come... Naturally, It's something that is truly a supernatural work of God. And that's why we see what we see in Luke chapter 6. If you'll turn there, we'll look again at verse 35, which we've looked at before. But I just want to highlight again that kindness is not natural, the kindness we're talking about. But kindness is an evidence of sonship, that we can't be kind like God is kind unless we are his child. Now, again, there are things in uh, our society and in our lives that, that sound like kindness and are, are a kind of kindness, such as the whole pay it forward movement. You may have heard of the pay it forward movement. There was a movie about it. There was a book about it. In fact, it's a concept that's been around since the ancient Greeks. Um, ben Franklin talked about it um, 
Ralph Waldo Emerson talked about it. A lot of people have talked about the idea that if someone does something good for you, you're not necessarily to pay necessarily supposed to pay them back, but you're to pay it forward. You're to pay someone else. So if you're in the line at McDonald's and the guy in front of you pays for your meal, then you pay for the meal for the guy behind you. You pay it forward, so to speak. You pass on that kind deed. Well, the question is, is that really what Paul is talking about here? Uh, No, it's not. Why not? It's because of the word pay. Kindness is not about paying anybody back. It's not about paying God back. It's not about paying anybody back. It's not about fulfilling an obligation. It's about doing something freely. It's about doing something willingly. It's not about, I have to do this. I have to pay it forward. They did a good thing to me, so I have to do a good thing to them or someone else. It's about actually what is said in Luke 6.35 when he says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. It's simply about being like God. You see, he says, you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind. The idea is not that we become sons by being kind, It's that we show ourselves that we are truly sons of God by being kind like God is kind. And not just kind to people who are kind to us, but kind to the evil and the ungrateful. Kind to the unkind and the ungrateful. And so God calls us to live this way because it reflects him. And that is really, really important our reflecting God. So if you would turn to Numbers chapter 20, because the next point is kindness is holiness. Again, kindness isn't simply the idea of being nice or avoiding conflict, but neither is it the idea of, you know, telling it like it is because I'm going to do you good and let the chips fall where they may. It's not that either. It's not just a callousness to people or anything like that. But it is truly God's kindness flowing through us. And one of the questions we can ask ourselves is, do I see myself as a fountain or a funnel? Now, if I see myself as a fountain, a fountain is something that produces water, in some senses can be self-replenishing, In some sense, I'm looking to myself to do what needs to be done. But a funnel is empty until someone puts something in it. And that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 4, you don't have to turn there, it simply says in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, or you might say earthen funnels, So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. He goes on to say, For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. It's the life of Jesus, it's the kindness of God that needs to flow through our lives. It's not something that's just going to come out of us naturally or automatically. 
We are not fountains. God is the fountain. We are simply funnels, earthen vessels, that the glory might be to God and not to us. Well, the interesting thing um, is uh, the whole idea of thinking about um, holiness. Holiness in relationship to love. There's an important connection there, and I hope we'll see it in just a minute. If you look at Numbers 20, verses 1 through 13, you have this story of Israel. And um, let me just read the story for you, these 13 verses. It says, And the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. Now Miriam died there and was buried there. There was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? Why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Those were the waters of Meribah, because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord, and he proved himself holy among them. It's an interesting thing it says right at the end of that story. God proved himself holy among them. Ever thought about what that means in the context of that story? When we think of holiness, we tend to think of purity. Doing what's right, not doing what's wrong, um, being pure, not being immoral, and all those kinds of things. And that is an important part of being holy. But it doesn't fit in this story. And so there's another aspect. And in, 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 in actuality, the fundamental idea of holiness is being different, being unique. To be a holy one, that's what saint means, means to be separate, to be different from everyone else. And so what is it saying here when it says, he, God, himself, proved himself holy among them. He proved himself that he was different from them. How? He showed them kindness when they didn't deserve it. You've got this group of people that are dishonoring God by basically accusing him of murder. You brought us out here in this wilderness to kill us. You're not good. You're not keeping your promises to us. You're unfaithful and you're not good, God. 
he gave them water in spite of that. That was a kindness. That was graciously desiring and doing good to those who were unkind, ungrateful, and evil. And on top of that, you've got Moses who was told to speak to the rock. Instead, he strikes the rock. Now, there's a lot to be said about that because the rock is Christ, according to 1 Corinthians. That's why he was supposed to speak to it the second time, not strike it again. But on top of that, Moses disobeyed and God still gave them water. The people dishonored God, he gave them water. Moses disobeyed, he gave them water. He proved himself holy. He proved himself kind. He proved himself loving. Loving those who don't deserve it. That's why there's a connection in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3 where Paul says in verse 11, Now may God, may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. Just as we also do for you. So that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So if you think about what Paul is saying there, he is, he's saying that I pray that God would help you to love each other and all people so that you can become holy. So you can be like God. God says, I want you to be holy as I am holy. That means I want you to be kind as I'm kind. It means I want you to love all people like I love all people. I want you to be kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I want you to be different like I'm different. I am not like sinful man. It's not just about eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever you do to me, I do to you. If not on the outside, on the inside. God says, I'm not like that. I want you to be holy. I want you to be different. I want you to be profoundly different in the kind of love that you show. And that's only by grace. That's only by God flowing through us and enabling us to live that way. Well, one question that comes up is, what does that kindness look like? Um, We've touched on it in a lot of different ways, but I just want to make sure we understand This kindness is for now and for eternity. And the reason why I bring this up is it's easy for us to think that, well, the most important kind of kindness is a spiritual kind of kindness, like sharing the gospel or talking about scripture or leading someone to Christ or helping them to grow in Christ, and that would be true. That is the most important kindness that I can show to other people that it has to do with the kindness of eternity. But it's not the only thing that God calls us to. He calls us also to be concerned about temporal things, people's physical condition, people's material uh, situation. Um, If I found someone hurting on the ground and they were moaning and groaning and and I said, okay, I, uh, I... I realize that they're doing, they're there on the ground and they're suffering like they are because they have cancer. And I'm just going to do all I can to try and cure them of their cancer, and, but I'm not going to worry about making them more comfortable. We would think that wouldn't be very kind. Uh, we, you know, if we just focused on the ultimate 
goal of rescue them, rescuing them from cancer, but we ignored trying to make them comfortable, we wouldn't think that would be as being as kind as we should be, and that would be true. The reality is uh, we're to be concerned about both. We're, we're to be concerned about people's happiness now and in eternity. If you read Jonathan Edwards' On this very point, he talks about this in, in various ways. Do you want to go ahead and turn to Romans 12? And I'll highlight just one verse we've looked at before uh, in this context. But basically, Jonathan Edwards will argue, he says, uh, there are many ways in which persons may do good to others and in which they are obliged so to do as they have opportunity. Persons may do good to the souls of others, which is the most excellent way of doing good. And he goes on to talk about trying to lead unbelievers to Christ and uh, helping believers uh, fight sin and, and find comfort and those kinds of things. But he also says, he says that we are also to do good to others in outward things and for this world. And so he says, we can do good by anything that may truly add to their comfort or happiness in the world, whether it be in the kind word or the considerate and benevolent deed. And by endeavoring thus to do good to them externally, we are under the greater advantage to do good to their souls. So what he's saying is, by doing good for people in terms of physical needs, material needs, what we might call worldly happiness and comforts, we actually do pursue their eternal good. I think that's reflected in uh, Romans 12, verse 20, when the Lord says, don't take revenge, don't take vengeance, that's his role. He says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. He doesn't just say, share the gospel and leave him in physical need. He says, no, uh, feed him, give him something to drink, for in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now that phrase, heap burning coals on his head, is one of those things that people wonder what Paul may have had in mind. But a lot of people believe that what it's talking about is it's the idea of bringing about a change of mind. So that that person, in the least, becomes ashamed of being so unkind toward us. But I tend to think in the context it has to do with actually giving them a change of mind ultimately about their spiritual state and about Christ. Because actually, in the ministry of Jesus, he did both. He ministered to people's physical, material needs, but he also, and ultimately, ministered to their spiritual needs. That's why it says in Matthew 4, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, which is pursuing their spiritual needs, doing them good spiritually, but, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So which is their temporal good, their physical needs. And in the mind of the Lord Jesus, those two things went together. It wasn't an either or. He was actually pursuing their spiritual good by healing them physically. He was actually um, pursuing their spiritual good by feeding the 5,000. It wasn't just meeting their physical needs. It was out of a heart that they might see the glory of God and his kindness to them. Because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so it's important that we think about that and we see that lest we tend to minimize the importance of just everyday kindnesses to people, 
kind words and kind actions. We should see them as pursuing their ultimate good. And Jonathan Edwards would argue it actually makes them uh, soften to us. It actually can open doors for the gospel when we show them undeserved kindness in very practical ways, just like the Lord Jesus did. And so kindness is passionate about eternal good while being involved in temporal good. Let me wrap up with this last point, which is kindness. The kindness of God that he calls us to requires action. Uh, We are to be kind like God is kind because we are children of God by God's grace. But we have to remind ourselves it's not natural. Even for us as believers, it's just not going to come naturally, automatically. That's why the Bible talks about work out your salvation and fight the good fight of faith. Because it takes work and it takes a fight to be kind to those who aren't kind to us. To be kind to those who are ungrateful. To be kind to those who are evil. And so we need the grace of God. So the last verse I'll ask you to turn to is Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 verse 12. Uh, It's an interesting uh, verse because of what Paul says. He tells us to do something. And what he says is, he says this. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says, put on kindness, among other things. But we're focusing on that. He says, put on kindness, which means I have a responsibility to do that. I have a responsibility to be kind like God is kind. And I am to put it on. Picture is just like I would put on a coat on a cold day. Um, We live in a cold world. We interact with cold people. We need to put on the warmth of kindness. Um, one of the illustrations of this for me um, is a story that I've mentioned before of Corrie Tim Boom. You might recall that she, at one point after the war, after she had been let out of the concentration camp, actually met one of the guards in the concentration camp at a meeting where she was speaking on the subject of forgiveness. And at the end of the um, Night after she had been done speaking, uh, this man walked toward her and she automatically recognized him or immediately recognized him as one of the guards at Ravensbrook concentration camp. One of the guards who had um, tortured her and her sister who died in that camp and others who had humiliated them. Uh, in all kinds of ways, had mistreated them in cruel and unbelievable ways. This man is walking toward her, and she's fighting on the inside about what to do. She's wrestling on the inside, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? This, this guard, this evil man, as far as she knew and as far as she could remember, is coming toward me to interact with me. And I've just talked about forgiveness. What am I going to do? And she describes the wrestling, the fight that was going on in her heart. And, and she thought about the fact that 
yes, God calls me to forgive just like I've been forgiven, and my sin is great too, and I've talked about the importance of forgiveness, and yet I remember Betsy and how she died at the hands of guys just like this. And so she's wrestling with what to do, and she was thinking about the Word of God, and she was thinking about her own um, need for mercy and grace. And she said, um, I stood there with uh, coldness clutching my heart. But, she says, forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So she's thinking all this in a very short amount of time. All this stuff is running through her mind. And you know how quickly you can just run through a lot of things in a very tense situation. And she said that she started to pray just in her heart. She said, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So she knew what the will of God was, and she was a woman submitted to the will of God. And she thought about the truth and what the truth was, and she knew she needed to act on the truth. So she stuck out her hand when he stuck out his hand. And he came up to her and said, you know, I was a guard at Ravensbrook, and I did some really cruel things, but I've become a Christian, and I want to know if you will forgive me. And she said, she grabbed his hand at that point, and tears came to her eyes, and she said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. She said at the moment that she grabbed his hand, it was like a flood of love came over her. Something changed. And she said, For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. There's a lesson there. We say, God, I want to know your love more. God says, great. You need to show that love and you'll find out. You need to love your enemies. You need to love the ungrateful. You need to love the unkind. And you will experience a deeper understanding of the love of God. It's not the only way we experience the love of God. We experience the love of God as we worship together. We experience the love of God in a lot of different situations. But that is one of the most important ways we experience the love of God because God loves enemies like you and me. And he makes them friends. And so to put on kindness is reflected in that story in the sense that Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we're to uh, basically present ourselves as sacrifices to God. We're to say, God, I give you my life. I just want to live in love like you want me to live in love. So that's the first place to start. Just like she started with, I knew, I knew this is what I needed to do. I, my life is God's. And the second thing is it says we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that's what Corey did too. Scripture began to flood her mind and she began to apply the truth in her own heart and mind. And we have to do that. We have to present our lives to God. We have to ponder the truth, ponder the reality of what we find in Scripture. And then we have to act. We have to pursue 
kindness. And we may not have the feelings at the time. We may not be overwhelmed with um, the right attitude or the right feelings in that moment. But if we are doing the next thing we know to do to love that person, doing the next thing we know to do that's right according to God's word, we can trust him to work in that person and to work in us too as he sees fit. And the important thing is that we don't give up because we will fail. We won't always be kind. We won't always be patient. But the question is, will I continue to present my life to God as a living and holy sacrifice? Will I continue to renew my mind and meditate on the truth? Will I continue to pursue kindness and to seek to show kindness and trust God for the grace I need, trust God for the transformation of my own heart? Will I persevere in that? If we humble ourselves and say, God, I can't love I can't be patient. I can't be kind like you are. God gives grace to the humble. As we present our lives to him as funnels, not fountains. And as we meditate on the truth, we're set free through the truth. And as we act on the truth, God begins to enable us to do what we thought we never could do. And if we just, if Corey had just simply waited until she felt like it, she would not have ever acted on what she knew to be true. God calls us to obedience and to pursue the obedience of kindness to people in our lives all day long, in every situation, in every relationship, and not simply to wait until they change or wait until we feel like doing what God calls us to do. We're to aggressively and passionately pursue their good by being kind. And God will be glorified and we will be greater, more greatly satisfied in God as we do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the encouragement of your word. It is our heart's desire to be like you. And it's our heart's desire to be satisfied in you, to, to, to love you more and to know your love more and to be uh, even more joyful and more at peace and more happy in our relationship with you, help us to see that trusting and loving in the ways that you call us to are crucial to our joy in you, to our happiness in you, and it's crucial to what you're doing in the lives of others, even as we pray that you would use us to make a difference in the lives of others. Father, we pray that you would help us to see ourselves in light of your word Help us not to forget what we look like in the mirror of your word, but help us to seek to be, by your grace, doers of your word and not hearers only. And help us to always keep in view the gospel of the kindness of God to us in Jesus, which is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper, which we will celebrate in just a moment. Please prepare our hearts for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.